If you have your Bibles tonight, find Jude chapter 1, which is easy to find. It's just find Jude. I don't know if we realize all the time that everything, everyone, and everything is slinging seed. Everything, no, no one sums it up better than Al Mohler on his weekly, po- his daily podcast where he says theology is everywhere. It's just true. Everywhere is passing off to us ideas and thoughts and things to, to build or come against a worldview, to strengthen or weaken or create a worldview. Theology is everywhere. Everything is slinging seed. And trust me, trust me, as faithful as God is working, the enemy is working, and um, we just face that. It's a reality. Hang with me while I give you a sideways illustration. So I was playing baseball as a kid, and, and this boy joined our team, and we knew, as the old country boy saying goes, he won't from around here real quick. He had a funny accent. Turns out his dad had moved all the way up here from Louisiana to go to the then Piedmont Technical College's taxidermy program. And uh, he joined our team, and um, he was was kind of a pudgy kid. You know, like, this is the pot. I wore black today on purpose. This is the pot called the kettle black. But I wasn't then. Inside of me now, there's still a strong tiger. I'm just keeping him in a in an outfit right now, keeping him safe. But uh, the coach says, what position do you play? And he said, first. And we had that sort of 12-year-old reaction, like, oh, oh, because we had a pretty good first baseman. And um, turns out, this was before we even knew of a guy named Andres Galarraga, some of you old baseball fans. They called him the big cat because he was a big guy, but he was very nimble. Well, this, this friend of ours, his, uh, his name was Pettit. He was the original big cat. He was so nimble at first, the very first practice. This guy's getting everything, man. He's, he is scooping it up. He's making plays. We're like, whoa, uh, our friend just lost his position like that fast, and we knew it. Well, our coach, and this was, this was at that point, the third year I'd played for the same coach. Our coach had this mantra that we heard about all the time, and here was his mantra. On my team, everyone steals bases. Well, the first time he said that, when Pettit was uh, present, everyone just looked over at him. You know, because he was, let's face it, he was a chubby kid. And he immediately hung his head. And Coach, being a sensitive adult of the early 80s, called him by name and says, yeah, that's you too, big boy. And so he began to work with him on how to steal bases. And let's just say he was not bought into the program. He was not. And the way coach would help, lovingly help young men like us buy into his coaching program was through this thing called wind sprints. And that's where you run as hard as you can from a line to a line. And you do that until either you throw up or die. Pretty soon, psychologically, Pettit saw himself as a base stealer. Because he knew if he did not psychologically buy into it, there was more wind sprints in his future. Well, coach would stand over third base and he'd give the sign and whatever the sign for steal was. All of us on the team knew the sign, but we didn't even have to look at coach. Pettit, but it was a good hitter. He's on first. You just see the look on his face. Coach called for steal. 
I think it was about the first four times he, he was just thrown out before he got going good, you know. He was like that cartoon figure who runs a lot in one place before he actually goes anywhere. And then, then one time he got kind of close, and the bench just erupted. You know, we're like, yeah, yeah! And he's out, and he's running back to the... T- Well, then he stole one. And they, they had to stop the game and make us go back into the dugout. We were just rejoicing that he had stolen it. And it was no error. He, I mean, he really stole the base. They finally got order back. And as soon as the pitcher went into his windup, he goes for third. And they gunned my man down by a country mile. And he slides anyway. Like, he had no reason. The guy standing there going, Tags him, you know, and he, he slides anyway. <laughs> and he gets up, and, he, and he's doing this the whole time. He's running back to the dugout. And we're like, man, what are you doing? He says, I just knew I could get two. <laughs> you know. He had bought into the mantra. He had so bought into the mantra that despite all the evidence, his confidence was supreme. And not only that, our team believed he could do it, and we rejoiced when he did it, and it didn't really make any difference to us whatsoever what the other team was good at. When coach gave the sign, the boys went for it. And I would say defense and stealing bases is how we, we won the championship that year, and it was because we were always aggressive. Young guys, you know what they do when you make them throw the ball? They throw it away. We got tons of free bases just by making them throw it away. I would say in tonight's passage, that if the church would take up the mantra to focus on Jesus in the face of the enemy and in the face of the times where focusing on the enemy seems like we're losing, if we would take up the team mantra and we would root for each other and we would rejoice over successes and support one another in the face of failure, if that could become our team here at East Rock, it would be a radical change, a radical change in us. If we just got on head coach's game plan. Now, if it takes us getting out in the parking lot running wind sprints, I got a lot of praying to do because that'll kill me these days. I don't think I can handle it. One or two times. I seen Casey and Brett foot racing in the street here after church one night. <clears throat> Brett won. Um, I, I would die. So what is it going to take for us just to get on God's game plan? I actually think the best defense in the faith is the sort of offense that keeps us focused on Jesus. Two verses tonight, Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The Bible reads like this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. God, help us not to drift here in this moment. Help us to not just deal with this holy book as a piece of literature, but to hear from it as the oracles of God. 
Break through the clouds of our confusion, our pain, our tiredness. Break through the clouds of our darkness and our sin and show us Jesus and move our affections ever closer to him. In Christ I pray, amen and amen. Preaching on this passage, Adrian Rogers said this, and it's a long quote, so hang with me. It's a long quote. What do these schools have in common? Harvard, Yale, Columbia, William and Mary, Dartmouth, Princeton. Well, you say they're all colleges. You're right. All universities. Right. But what do they have in common? You say, well, they're Ivy League schools, most of them. But what do they have in common? They were all founded and built for the propagation of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every one of them had a Bible foundation. Every one of them was founded for the preaching of the gospel, the training of ministers, and godly Christian laymen to spread the gospel across America. What a tragedy. The same thing that has happened to these schools has happened to many once great denominations. And the same that thing that has happened to many once great denominations has happened, God help us, to many churches. There has been an apostasy. The word apostasy means a falling away from the faith or a turning from the faith. And that is what the little book of Jude is all about. It is a warning of the apostasy, the lapsing from faith, the turning from the faith that is going to take place in the last days, end quote. These mighty universities that were formed for the propagation of the gospel are now some of the most liberal institutions in this country, and they propagate foolishness, worldliness, godliness, godlessness, and even demonic doctrine on a daily basis. They are held up as the paragons of academic education, while what they do is produce in the classroom what will soon be lived on the sidewalk. A degree of turning away from God that has sank our nation into the deluge of blindness. We hail some of our highest leaders from our country come from these same institutions and others just like them that Adrian Rogers did not name. And what was founded to be places that cause the gospel to flourish and go forth have become dens of iniquity over and over again. Even now, and you know, this is, this is not meant to embarrass anyone. We've had these discussions. Even as Katie applied for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and was accepted and went over there, I, I wouldn't say I'm worried because God is sovereign. She's a sound-thinking young lady. She's been prepared wonderfully by, you know, her, I mean, honestly, her mom and I, her schooling, her, um, her time in, in rock solid, her time under the teaching that comes from this pulpit. Uh, we have spent a lot of time together, but burdened, concerned, you betcha. It is a cesspool of ideology in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Durham, North Carolina. Cesspool. And you could add Duke to those ranks of schools that was started to propagate the gospel that now celebrates worldliness left and right. I think I could make a long, long list, couldn't I, Casey? But I, I believe people like Casey Adams, just to be honest, he's a, he's a tar head or whatever you call those people. I believe Katie. I believe you'll navigate from it. I believe you'll navigate it like Daniel did. I honestly do. 
Daniel navigated the Babylonian world and took away many wonderful things. He learned a lot of, and he did not give in where God told him not to give in. Amen? Praise God. Can believers navigate? Yes, they can navigate it, but if they don't navigate it with antenna up and eyes open, something will creep in. Let me give you a second quote. This, this quote comes from theologians Jim Shaddix and, and Danny Aiken in their commentary, uh, Exalting Christ. It says, they say this, We also see the demise and death of once great denominations that no longer send gospel missionaries who deny the inerrancy of Scripture, reject the exclusive claims of Christ, ordain practicing homosexuals to the ministry, advocate same-sex marriage, perform same-sex weddings, and turn a deaf ear to the holocaust of abortion. I don't think Shaddix and Aiken went far enough. They not only, they are not only uh, approve of these things, many of them endorse and propagate them as a false gospel, thus making twice the demons of themselves. If I sound like I'm being dramatic... It's because Jude's being dramatic. Blame him. The truth is what the church faced 2,000 years ago, she faces today. If you wanted to pass off some counterfeit money, you would not go home and empty out your monopoly box of that sort of money and walk into the bank and try to launder it through your checking account or walk into Walmart. No one's going to be fooled by that. If you were really going to counterfeit... What you would do is you'd get the best paper that was most like paper, and you would try to find those little strips. You know, Casey, I always hold them up, look at them at the, at the credit union or the bank or whatever. They even do it in stores. You would try to find those things. You would try to make a product that was most like the product that was real, wouldn't you? Amen? If you ever want to see this, just read the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob never objected to trying to fool his dad, he just wondered if his mom's plan was complete enough. What a reprobate. <laughs> and what I find encouraging is God used, them, used that crowd anyway. Now, if I've set the stage, I could go on and on and on. I could talk about Hollywood. I could talk about the music industry, you know, Nashville and Austin and New York. I could talk about the things that pass off as as, as, as plays, you know, we could, we could go down to Deepak and watch the plays for a season and we could do a study in how ideas are propagated to people in the form of entertainment. Or we could, we could just, we could actually, we could actually go turn on the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon and we could just see what children are being taught on a day-to-day -day basis through the innocence of cartoons. Theology's everywhere. And the most effective heresy is the heresy that creeps in. With that as an introduction, let me give you two big ideas, two big ideas tonight that I pray will help us begin to see things with a little clarity. First big idea is this. It's really profound. In these dangerous days, know what you believe. I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why these things happen in my life. But um, I haven't listened to country music. I think I gave up on it sometime uh, around 1992 or three. I, I, I think uh, Achy Breaky Heart began, it, it began it, man. I'm like, if this is, 
right? But any old time, I haven't listened to country music in all those years. But any old time, I'll, I'll just start belting out some song that I absolutely haven't forgotten. And the other day, some young person said, what are you singing? And I was singing, you were the first thing that I thought of when I thought I drank you off my mind. Oh, you like that? Wow. My prayer of revival. Um, why do I bring, I haven't, I think that's Clint Black maybe, maybe, I don't even know. I haven't listened to that song in 25, 30 years. I haven't listened, to, but where is it? In my mind, why is it there? A, because music is easy to remember. B, because I devoted a lot of time to listening to these songs over and over and over again. And I know them. You let any eagle song at all come on, and Karen Bowes knows every word. Last night, you just heard in the, the backseat, Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Right? We've got a culture so bent into entertainment, all they got to do to build a worldview for us is put it in a song or in a show, and we are students. We will binge Netflix for hours on end. You know, this week, Katie, put your fingers in your ears, okay? You, you really, this week, someone was telling me how good Taylor Swift was. And if you know me, you probably have an idea what I said. Why callest thou her good? And the young person said, why do you talk like this? <laughs> and we had a great discussion, actually. It was a work team. They weren't getting any work done because I was too busy preaching to them. But <laughs> like, okay, wait, you can't say Taylor Swift is good until you figure out what good is, and then you begin to evaluate what Taylor Swift is saying according to this definition of good. And the young lady says, I just like the way she sings. And the devil just dances in the delight of the pleasures of the flesh. Truth be known, she, this young girl wouldn't even give me any lyrics to any song. I think she was afraid to bring them up. It was a fun discussion. She just wouldn't get in it. I was like, tell me some lyrics. I don't know any. She didn't believe me. She says, look them up. I said, no, tell me. Tell me some lyrics. She wouldn't do it. I said, it could be okay. Brett, you remember all those times we walked kids through music and just said, you know, now let's look at what they're saying. Is it good? Is it neutral? Is it bad? Is it good? Does it agree with God? Is it neutral? Is it just something okay? It's not bad, but, you know, like a love song. A lot of love songs are just awesome. I love a lot of love songs. I'm a romantic. Or is it something that's just promoting a terrible doctrine? We've seen a lot of kids get a lot of fruit out of that. Now, some of them said, I'm still going to listen to that song. Some of them were saying, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to like it. <laughs> I think if we gave as much time to knowing the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of God's sovereignty, the doctrines that show us his attributes, his holiness, his goodness. If we set out to understand how theology was everywhere and we could recognize theology in a four-leaf clover and a leaping gazelle and the laugh of a child and the breeze of the wind and the steadiness of the universe, if we could see God the way God wants us to see him in everything, we would not take so much delight in so many things that are not of the Lord. 
but we are drunk on the pleasures of the flesh. Jude tells us the faith must be defended. He says, I wanted to write to you about our common sound salvation, but I found that I must. I mean, it's necessary, he says. It's necessary that we, that we contend for the faith. Why? Because the faith is being assaulted. And before you think the faith is being assaulted everywhere, that, you know, you're not like the universities and stuff, it's being assaulted right here in your own life. And so Jude tells us the faith must be defended. Also, and see if you can hang with this statement right here. Jude tells us that delivering faith has been delivered, and our mission is to deliver the deliverer's message. Now, leave that up there for a little bit, if you would, Mary. He says the faith has once and all been delivered. You know, um, I, I've gotten a lot of lumber over the last few days, and uh, one lumber company totally trusts me. You go inside, and you just pay for the thing, and, and you just go out there and get it. I mean, I think I could load up anything, and they wouldn't even notice. They don't even, nobody's at the door checking when I leave, you know, and, but you got this piece of paper, and it says what you paid. Nobody looks at it. Right? I, could, I could have built a house this week if I was a dishonest person. Where you got this other company, they check you going into the yard, and they check you coming out of the yard. And I thought it was really interesting, right? Or if you've ever, maybe some of you could relate to this. You ever been to Sam's Club, right? Or one of the, they check, we went last night, they boop your receipt, and then the thing in their hand says boop two or three things in there. And they boop, 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 and they say, okay, you're good to go. It's sort of this spot check, right? I think what Jude is telling us is that there's a faith that has been delivered, and it doesn't need any altering or adding to, it has been accomplished. What was done on that full cross, what was done in that empty tomb, what was done at that, at that ascension, what was done at the coming of the Holy Ghost, the faith has been delivered. The major doctrines of salvation, the major doctrines of sanctification, they're all wrapped up in Christ and he has come. And any doctrine wrapped up in his return is still wrapped up in him. As he returns, the faith has been delivered. Now, East Rockers, being your family, doesn't have a clue how much you're getting rescued from right here in this moment. You don't have a clue. <clears throat> East Rockers, I made a list of 19 essential doctrines I was going to unfold for you tonight. I took them all out of my notes right before I printed them. Be quiet, Brett. Casey is the nerdiest nerd in this place. <laughs> I, I did. And, you know, some of them, some of them are no-brainers. Some of them are no-brainers, like the exclusivity and sufficiency of Christ Jesus, right? It's a no-brainer. Some of them, people would say, well, maybe that's not a no-brainer. I'll tell you it's a no-brainer for me, the inerrancy of Scripture. A lot of us, so many things creep in because there's no defense in that area of our lives. And I contend we need to give ourselves more to the study of Scripture. Last night, last night, uh, my daughters were telling this story, and uh, they were telling the story. Let's don't make any mistake. They were telling the story to throw shade at Jake. <laughs> Jake Farmer. Let's don't, Jake, Jake, Jake Dunkley got nervous. What did I do? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's that. It, it, yeah, it, all Jake's here. They, and they go, they say something like this. 
And, and Jake wrote it in Latin on his shield. And I'm driving, and I go, my man. <laughs> you know, that we got a 19-year-old here in our congregation that knows what sola fide means. Right, that's, that's good, y'all. I don't know if y'all know that. That's good. And he put it in Latin on his shield. Now, he was probably trying to be superior. Uh, Mary goes, yes. <laughs> He's, okay, Jake's owning it. Maybe a little bit, right, Jake? Like, okay, but it warmed the cockles of my heart, Jake. I, I, you know, Jake, what have you been doing? This was a few months ago. This is exactly how this happens. If you know Jake, everything is one tone. Jake, what are you doing? Oh, uh, just studying Hebrews in depth. <laughs> yeah, what else? Trying to reach my friend for Christ. What else, Jake? What was the class you hated last semester? Whatever it was, you told me you were trying to survive it. Physics? What physics? Trying to survive physics. So, no wild parties. You know? <laughs> no, his wild party is Hebrews, right? I... Guys, I don't know if we know what we believe, but I know the easiest way for it to be assaulted is for us not know what we believe. Secondly, this is going to seem oversimple, but in these dangerous days, beware. 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 Look again at verse 4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Oh boy, wouldn't it be great to unfold sovereignty and election and just spend a couple of hours talking about that? Never fear, I erased that out of my notes as well. At the after-after party. But that's a discussion right there. That's a discussion there are some people, apparently, and this is all I'm going to say about it, apparently, biblically speaking, there even are some people that are given to the church to test our souls. Jesus said there would be wheat and, why well, y'all whisper it, you're right, wheat and, and what did he say to do with the wheat, uh, excuse me, the tares? Leave it in, let them grow up there. Two big things, they help us grow and some of them get converted. The magic wheat. <laughs> I thought she was a tear. <laughs> I met Jesus. We all, I was born a tear. <laughs> then they changed my name to Tim. I wish they had left it because it would have been Tim and Karen, Karen Tear. That would have been right. <laughs> what do you are to be aware of? Look at the scripture. Let it speak for itself. Let it speak simply. Let it speak clearly. Ungodly people. Beware of those who deceive God's church. Here's another thing. I didn't take this out of my notes. I took this out of the PowerPoint, Mary. Don't look for it. But I had put in this incredibly insane video of Joel Osteen on the Larry King show. You can go look this up. He's on the Larry King show. And Larry King, who I believe is of Jewish heritage, I don't know that to be sure, but I th Ben, you're nodding your head. You know that? Okay. He is basically softball pitching the opportunity for Joel Osteen to preach the gospel on this syndicated television and radio show. And Osteen goes, well, I don't know. Then he gives him the opportunity to say 
that unrepentant Jews and unrepentant Muslims are destined for hell. And he's, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't want to be the one to say that. You don't have to say that. John 14, 6. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. He is the door. He is the voice that calls, the shepherd that holds, the door that we enter by. No one comes to Jesus except, except come to God except through Jesus. Somebody say amen. And you watch this video, and I don't know whether I want to hug Larry King or punch Joel Osteen. Maybe both at the same time. Hey, that's what that whole thing was developed for. What do you call that thing? Oh, TikTok. Now, what's he called, Christina? Uh, yeah, that's what it was developed for. That show. I can't tell you how many people share. I've seen it in this congregation. Share videos on social media that if you were more founded in your theology, you would not propagate that person's preaching. And I would rather not have to give you a list and be your gate by which you come through everything. What I would rather be able to do is be able to recognize those who are deceiving God's church. They crept in. They sneak in. They slip in secretly as if by a side door. Or Spurgeon's, this Spurgeon's quote. He says, Satan knows right well that one devil in the church can do far more than a thousand devil outside her bounds. Holy guacamole. Or just read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Right? And we got all these people who, who know how to they know how to say the right words, but their characters don't match. Their lifestyles don't match. Their theology, when it's tested and tried, it doesn't stand up. And their condemnation was marked out long ago. Their judgment is assured. The truth will win out. Our responsibility is to be on the side with truth. Beware of those who deceive God's church. Beware of those who distort God's grace. In his Enduring Word commentary, let me quote David Guzik. The idea behind the ancient world lewdness is, is sin that is practiced without shame, without any sense of conscience or decency. Usually the word is used in the sense of sensual sins, such as sexual immorality, but it can also be used in the sense of brazing anti-biblical teaching. When the truth is denied and lies are taught without shame, Jude probably both had both ideas in mind here because as the rest of the letter will develop, those certain, these certain men had both moral problems and doctrinal problems, end quote. They distort God's grace. There's a problem here. If people tell you things that God has said as a sin are okay because times have changed or whatever, then I think what we should call that is what, church? Who knows? Hogwash unmitigated, unfiltered, hogwash. And I might even call it its more stronger counterpart. No, the, the often unused, though stronger word, hawksnot. 
Hogg. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. You get the point. And what Jude would say is extra terrible here is they pervert grace. Instead of saying that God's grace is giving you unmerited favor while you're dead in trespasses and sins, God's grace is so that you can enjoy your sins. That is perverting grace. And that's hogwash. God does no more excuse my sin than he does anyone else's. He's called it sin to sin. That's all I'm going to say about that. And lastly, beware of those who deny God's Messiah. It's not that they deny Jesus Christ historically or they deny his works. Let me go ahead and drill down on exactly what it is. They deny his lordship. They deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I've told you guys again and again over the last few months, and I guess I make this comment for our visitors. A lot of this nationalism cloaked in American Christianity is the denial of the lordship of Jesus and the taking up of political masters as our lords. Taking up any cause in front of Christ is making an idol of that thing and giving your allegiance to it. Anything, anything. If Christ disagrees with it, then the Christian disciple has a responsibility to disagree with it. Even, even if it sounds good on the radio, even if it's fun to watch on TV, or even if they're protecting something you want protected, Just as a way of illustration, a lot of people have asked me over and over again, like, uh, uh, you know, I've been in debates with the, the Democrat folks and the Republican folks, and, and they'll tell me choosing of a lesser evil. I'll just say, why do I got to choose an evil? Just why do I have to choose an evil? And that's not always that cut and dry. I just hate that argument. You know, you're part of the problem. I said, well, sounds like to me I'm part of the solution. I am not choosing an evil. <laughs> Oh, you're thinking utopian. Well, didn't you just tell me this side's more right and they'll bring about utopia? You're helping them win. If I'm not voting for either one, how am I helping them win? I'm helping me win, baby. Guys. Let's balance this all. If you have, this is not going to be on screen. If you have your Bible, I want you to find it. And when you find it, say amen. Find verse 24 in Jude. When you find it, let me know you found it. Now, this is a heavy message. We got people creeping in. There's also blatant stuff, too. Like, it's highly, it's highly doubtful that if a Maharaji come up here and preach, anybody would be fooled by this. All right? T.D. Jakes. Stephen Furtick, Osteen, they say enough God words that a lot of us will be fooled by these cats. I mean, I can list names for days, and I don't know, Ben, maybe you feel like I feel. I, I don't want to have to make the names. I want to give you the tools. You, you find the names for yourself. Listen to this. I want you to leave with hope. It says, this is how he, this is a doxology. Listen to how he commits this very heavy task of dealing with this this heretical 
sneaky world. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. If Andrew, Andrew, honestly, brother, if you weren't so busy, like I would use my boss powers and say, make this a song. But I mean, I appreciate honestly how busy you are. Like I just want to sing this. I want to find the tune from the Holy Spirit. I, this is so beautiful. Right. What is it saying? We're in a very difficult world. We're in a very difficult time. There are many enemies. There is much to be concerned about. Now, who are we going to, who am I going to commend my people to? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. If that's not hope, I get chills from the top of my hair to the bottom of my feet. We are facing a dangerous situation, church. Whose hands are we in? Praise God. That means he will equip us to navigate this junk. We don't have to only be afraid or only be nervous. We can be afraid and nervous in his hands. We can be watchful and intentional and purposeful. We can walk into this place and be a point of light and rejoicing in Christ, even though the world continues to love darkness around us. Why? Because God is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us to himself blameless. What hope in the face of so much difficulty? So what would I say to you tonight? I would say, you, you know, with all humility, you better look at where you're getting your entertainment from. Just be honest. Look at what you're relishing. And then also honestly look at how much do you pour into growing as a Christian? Some stuff is real easy, like are you a part of a small group? Do you have a method of studying and reading Scripture and memorizing it? Uh, our, our fearless, unmatched leader, Andrew Liggett, has already given us a method to learn. I don't know, Andrew, what? Three, four hundred verses, easy. Through music. I mean, who's taking advantage of that besides when he plays them here? You, you know, you could be. Honestly, you should be. Do you put praying and Bible study on your calendar? I'm begging you. I'm begging you. This is the, know your faith. This is the way to navigate the mess. Secondly, I'm begging you to relish your Savior. In all situations, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything until Christ helps you. If you don't know what to think, don't think anything. Don't make a decision until you know how he would have you decide. Something like if a car is coming at you head on, Jesus already gave you the steering wheel. Move over. Don't be ridiculous, guys. Or maybe you need to start a relationship with him by surrender. You need to give in and say, Jesus, be the boss of my life. See, a lot of people don't mind checking in on religion, but they're not sure about that lordship issue. I want you to be the boss of all my moments, all week, all, not because you seek to hold a hammer over me, but you seek to enjoy fellowship with me. That's a big difference. Do you know him today? The Bible says, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead, vindicated. He was innocent, so he rose from the dead, and he defeated death. 
Therefore, the two great enemies of our souls have been taken care of. The wrath of God is subverted by the death on the cross. The enemy death means it's not the end of us. There's a resurrection. He ascended to the Father and sat down beside him because the work was done. The faith is delivered. What's left for us to do? Sola fide. He gives us the gift of faith, and we place that faith in Jesus. We believe on the person and his work, and we're adopted into the family of God. Do you know him today? This is a tough world, and he's a good God. It's hard to navigate it, but he'll keep us and present us. The thing is, we got to be in that keep position now. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jude. Father, it's, it's so many good things to enjoy in the world. So many, so much sweetness, so much beauty. So many things. I, like, I've just been enjoying watching my sisters revel in flowers. So much beauty. I think the enemy, Father, doesn't want us to enjoy any of it, but most of all, he doesn't want us to enjoy you. Deliver us from the fowler's snare and hide us under your wings. Father, speak to each heart, each family. Call every person closer to you. If there's any person that needs to surrender their life to you, and God, we trust you to do that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us needs you. All of us, equally. Even the folks who have surrendered still need you. Father, speak to us as we sing together. In Jesus I pray, amen.